this is part three of three this morning of our Home for Christmas series. And this morning I want to uh, talk, to you about, talk to you about a piece of artwork that is one of the most famous pieces of artworks in the Western world. Back in 1511 to 1512 AD, there was a painter who painted a masterpiece. His name was Michelangelo, not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, but an actual person who was a master painting. And he was uh, hired by the, the, the Catholic Church to go into a place called the Sixteenth Chapel in the Vatican in Rome and to paint a painting that now has become this world-famous painting. We've actually got a picture of this painting. Here is this painting. Here in this painting, uh, you see lots of different uh, people and lots of different characters in this painting. Uh, you, you see around the outskirts there, uh, what uh, Michelangelo describes as angels. And then in the center, you've got uh, uh, two guys. Uh, one guy looks like he's in a brain um, with uh, other people in the brain with him. Um, and then there's another guy all by himself. And those people in the brain are actually angels as well. But this painting that was painted, that so many people, they go to Rome and the Vatican just to see this painting, to look up on the ceiling, uh, this, this painting is centered around two central figures. And so we've got another picture that shows us these two central figures. You've got one guy who's got this long beard, and he looks like he's a little higher than the other guy who's just laying on his back. And the one guy is reaching out his hands to the other one. And Michelangelo will tell you that that man at the, uh, uh, who, is, who is reaching down, his name is God. And the other guy in the painting, his name is Adam. This painting is actually called The Creation of Adam. And any good painting, uh, any good painter will always in their painting make what we call a focal point. The point of the painting that your eye goes towards, that everything else comes towards in that painting. In this painting, there is a focal point and this is the focal point of that painting. See, what you see in the painting, you see that God is stretching out from heaven, his brain-like heaven, whatever you know, heaven looks like, but he's stretching out from heaven and he's stretching out as far as he can and he's pointing his finger out to Adam and Adam is reaching back, but he is unsure. Adam is unsure about God and about touching God. You see, from this, from this painting, we see that there is a separation between God and Adam. It, it feels like that there is something unsure about Adam. And, and, and ultimately, when you look at the painting, God is surrounded by this, this myriads of angels in heaven. But Adam is all by himself. He looks all alone. He almost looks lost. Well, why, why is this? Why, I mean, why, why is this the case? Why is there this, this disconnect between Adam and God? Why is it that Adam seemed lost? Why is it that Adam is all alone? Well, if you've ever been lost, you kind of understand. How many of you have ever been lost? 
you've like been lost. Like, like you've been in the middle of nowhere, you, you, your battery's run out, your GPS has died, and now you're in the middle of Whitefoot, you're like, how do I get back to Bel Air? I mean, it's like, whoa, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And, and, and so I, I'm, some of you, I'm sure that's happened. Well, back in 1988, my family and myself, we took a family trip to a place called Butlins. Butlins was the precursor of all-inclusive hotels at the time. And what it was, uh, it wasn't as, as nice as an all-inclusive, but if you've ever seen the movie Dirty Dancing, you know, they go to this like summer camp and there's all like these little like huts and things where people are, it, Butlins was like that, but it was like that on steroids. It was this great place. So it had like a big fairground in the middle. It had like a putt-putt and it had outdoor pools and indoor pools. Uh, there, there was like even like a, 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 um, a like like carts that, that, that went over on lines like you see on the ski slopes and stuff like chairlifts and stuff that went all over the park. It was this great place. And, and one day I'm there with, with my dad and we're, we're walking down uh, the street to, throughout this camp and I look over and there is the fairground. And there is this ride that I want to ride. It is called the Mexican Hat. And I'm not sure if it's politically correct or not, but that's what they called it, the Mexican hat. And what it was, it was this big wheel that every, like you sat around and it kind of like went up and, and down like, like, like how a hat moves and everybody just gets crushed in it. It was like the greatest thing ever. Like. And so I would watch it and I would look at it and I'm like, I want to go on the Mexican hat because I want to be crushed. I don't know why we do that as kids, but that's what we wanted to do. But I was too small to ride on the Mexican hat. So we're, we're walking by it one day and, uh, and I turn to my dad and I'm holding my dad's hand and I says, Dad, I want to go and, uh, and look at the people on the Mexican hat. And so I let go of my dad's hand and I run over to the Mexican hat. I didn't know at the time my dad did not hear me say I wanted to go. As I'm looking at all these people having this great time being crushed on this, uh, on, on this fairground ride, Suddenly, I look around, and I can't see my dad. I look around, and I'm like, and I start shouting out, Dad, 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 where are you? No answer at all. And then suddenly, like little boys, what happens? Your lip starts to quiver. It's like, <laughs> like my son, my son, he's like eight months. He, he does that. I like, I'm, I'm in the room. I leave the room and suddenly his lip starts quivering. It's like, where's daddy going? And, and that's what happened. And suddenly I started crying. I was like, I want my daddy. I want my daddy. I want my daddy. And, and so I started screaming and, and one of the fairground workers came to me and says, what's wrong? What's going on? I'm like, I've lost my daddy. I want my daddy. And so he calls his manager over. So the manager comes over and they says, oh, come with us. What, what's your name? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, I want my daddy. So that they, they take me into this, into this, uh, in this building and, and it looks like a big castle. It looks like this great place. And I walk in and there's toys galore. A- a- anything any kid would love to be in. I mean, it was like the greatest place ever. But I didn't care about that. I didn't care about the fairground. I didn't care about the toys because all I wanted was my daddy. And I started crying and continued crying. And I felt like I I sat there in that room with all those toys and I cried. I felt like I cried all day. 
I kept crying and crying and crying. And then I felt like I cried all night. And then I cried into day two and into day three. And it felt like it was like a week I was there. Like, where are my parents? Where is my daddy? And I was crying and crying and crying. So much so, you know, when you cry too much, like your head hurts and it's like your jaw hurts, but you still can't stop yourself. And then after about a week of being in this place, I hear the door open, and I hear this low, low voice, and I hear this voice, is he in there? You know, like Darth Vader, here, you are my father, you know, and suddenly I hear it, and I recognize it's my dad's voice. Suddenly I, I get so excited. He runs, he comes into the room where I am and I run up to him and I dive into his arms. I hug in, I'm still sobbing away like crying because of the trauma is so much. I've been away from your family for a week and, and, and I'm, I'm crying and I'm, I'm hugging him because my dad is there. My dad came to get me. The reality was I was missing for about 20 minutes but it felt like a week. And this, this is the same for Adam. See, what happened with Adam, Genesis chapter 2 tells us this, that God created human beings in his image. Just like a son looks like his father. You know, some of you, that's a good thing. Some of you, that's a bad thing. But your son looks like his father. And God created human beings in his image for two purposes. The first purpose was that we would have relationship with God. We would have a relationship like a son-father relationship with God. We would call him father and he would call us child, son or daughter. The second reason that he created us was to reign over this earth. Was to create, he created this place called earth that we would call home and that we would reign over this home called earth. And Adam, who's in that, that, that painting of Michelangelo, Adam was the first man. And the Bible tells us that Adam disobeyed his father. His father gave him a command and he disobeyed his father. He disobeyed the creator God. And this disobedience started to cause a separation between God and man. And in that painting, while God was still stretching out to Adam, Adam suddenly with his separation was now unsure of God. He was lost. He didn't know where to go. And while God stretched out towards man, man was reluctant to stretch back towards God. And this earth, which, which man was supposed to rule this home we call earth, which was once perfect in every single way, now under the reign of a disobedient man who was separated from God, became a shadow of its former self. This place that we could call home, sweet home, now became a place of death. A place of death. So back in 1983, my family, we lived in a place called Worcester, England. It's actually the place where you get Liam Perry's Worcestershire sauce from. And let me just correct you this morning. I hear so many American people say Worcestershire sauce. It is not Worcestershire sauce. It's Worcestershire sauce. So take it from, I live like two miles away from the factory. It's Worcestershire sauce, just to get that clear. <laughs> so we lived in this place called Worcester, England. And in 1983, we'd been away on vacation. 
don't know if it was like Butlin's place again or somewhere else, but we got home. When we arrived home, we pulled up into our driveway, and there were two police officers in our home. As we walked in, suddenly my mom started to cry and started to sob. That's where I get my sobbing from. My dad's, you could just see the anger started to well up with him. As kids, I was four years old at the time. My sister was six. We really didn't know kind of the ins and outs, what was going on. But what had happened two days prior, some people had broken into our home and they had ransacked our home. They had turned over furniture. They had broken some things. They had stolen some things. And they had, they had come and burgled our home. Suddenly, a place that we could see ourselves for the rest of our lives being in. A place that we called home, that we had so many wonderful memories. My parents had wonderful memories in that home. Suddenly, a place we called home no longer felt like home. It it just felt like a different place. It had a different aura about it. And so six months later, we sold that house because it no longer felt like home. Back in 1995, my grandparents lived in a place called Birmingham, which is England's second biggest city. And they had been away, actually, to the United States. And they came home, as they came home, They saw that their door had been beaten down. As they walked in, they were shell-shocked at what they saw. They called the police and the police came out and they said they have never seen a burglary as worse as my parents. The things that those, those, those burglars did to my grandparents' home was unbelievable. The shell was still there, but inside it was destroyed. A place that they had grown up, that they had raised their kids, they had invited their grandchildren in. What was once a wonderful home no longer felt like home anymore. And so three months later, they sold their home and they came to live about a block and a half from where we lived. Why? Because once it was a home, it just didn't feel like a home anymore. And the problem is in that painting, that Michelangelo painted, we see there that there is this separation between God and Adam. And this is the problem. Adam was supposed to create a home so his descendants, which are you and me, we could live in this home. This place we could call home, sweet home. But instead of creating a home, he created a death trap. The Apostle Paul tells a church in Rome, and this is what he says about this whole event. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted a sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Remember, Adam was supposed to create a home. In the end, he created a death trap. And it says this, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through his, this other man, Christ Jesus. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man, Adam's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace. And his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So Adam came to create a home, but instead he created a death trap. And this is what God says. God says, okay, I'm fed up of just trying to reach out to touch Adam. Instead, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send a gift who's going to come and deliver these people from this death trap. I'm going to come and give them a gift so that they can actually find a place called home. See, God's plan was to send a gift. It was a gift of forgiveness that if unwrapped, would cause life to sustain and death to be defeated. So the question is, who is Christ? Who is this Christ that Paul talks about? The Apostle Paul elsewhere calls him the second Adam. Like the first Adam who disobeyed God, now the second Adam. An Adam who will create a home and not destroy our home. Who is the one who will bring us freedom from this place of death? Who is the one who will bring us hope? See, when we think of Christmas, and I love Christmas, but when we think of Christmas, this is what we think. We think of lights and gifts, right? You know, have you seen those like new lights that people are getting on the house? So like really lazy people who like won't actually like, get up when it's freezing cold and put lights on. Now let's just get a laser that shines up. I mean, why didn't we think of that years ago? That's what we think. We think gifts of lights. We, we think of presents. We, th- we think of Christmas trees. We, we, we think of parties and fun and food, that's what, that's what we think about when we think of Christmas. We think of songs. We think of, uh, of, of crazy stores. Where you go in and it's just like, I just want to get out of here. I'm going to die in this store. You know? That's what we think about. Often we think about just a nativity scene that's at someone's front yard. Or going to the school play where your child or your grandchild is there and you've got a a little kid who's a Mary and a Joseph. And then you've got some shepherds and you've got some wise men. And then you've got the people who didn't make the cut of being the wise men. So they were made sheep or or cows and stuff like that. I was always one of those. (laughs) You know, you've got this plastic doll that you put in a manger. You know, because you don't want the little kids to touch a real baby. And we think that's what Christmas is all about. But what if Christmas wasn't so much about the gifts and the presents and the songs and the fun and the food? What if Christmas wasn't even about a nativity scene? What if Christmas was all about finding your way home? What if that was what Christmas was all about? About finding your way home. So... 
I moved to the United States 10 years ago, and the first Christmas I was here, I heard a song. I'm like, man, I love that song. It's the cheesiest song in the world, but it's in my head all the time. And every time it was on the radio, I was like, shh, let's turn this song up. And I'd never heard it before, and now I love this song. It's called There's No Place Like Home for the Holidays, originally sang by a guy called Perry Como. And he said this in that song, I met a man who lives in Tennessee. He was heading for Pennsylvania and some homemade pumpkin pie. From Pennsylvania, folks are traveling down to Dixie's sunny shore, from Atlantic to Pacific. Gee, the traffic is terrific. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays, because no matter how far away you roam, if you want to be happy in a million ways for the holidays, you can't beat home, sweet home. I'd have us all sing it this morning, but I just, I'm not very good at leading songs. But the reality, what if Perry Como was right? What if he was right? What if we've roamed so far, but Christmas is all about coming home, for there's no place like home, sweet home. See, the Bible tells us this in Matthew chapter 1. And verse 20, a guy called Joseph has just found out that his fiancée, Mary, is pregnant. And it says this, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For, For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. The prophet was Isaiah. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So every Christmas, we talk about the birth of a little baby. Almost so that it's like a fairy tale or a fable that we tell to our kids. Put it on the same level of Santa Claus, right? It's like something we tell to our kids. And that's what we make Christmas often all about. But did you hear what Matthew said? This baby wasn't just any baby wasn't just some plastic doll we put in a manger in some kid's play. You know, when Mary like carries the baby out, but she's carrying it more like a football. You know, I mean, that, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that this baby will save the people from their sins. Do you know what the baby will do? The baby was sent to come and rescue us from this death trap of a home to take us to our eternal home. This Christ that Romans, the book of Romans talks about, Matthew calls it Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Emmanuel translates God with us. God with us. 
That is who God has come. That is the one who has come to save the people from his sins. Go back to just Michelangelo's picture for a moment. He's painting. There is God reaching out from heaven towards Adam. And Adam is reluctant. There's this separation. And God's saying, I've had enough. I'm not going to reach out anymore. Instead, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to get out of heaven. I'm going to get out of my home, my heavenly home. And I'm going to go to where Adam and his descendants are. And I'm going to come and I'm going to bring them home. That is what God has done. That is what Christmas is about. It's about Emmanuel, God with us. God coming and saving us. So this year, 2015. We've seen so much in the TV. We've seen so much on the news, in the newspapers, on the internet. I'm sick and fed up of hearing the, the names Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And I'm sick and fed up of hearing Republican and Democrats. We've seen just lately on the news events in Paris. We've seen things happening in California. We've seen so much tragedy. We've seen terrorism and storms. We've seen shootings and riots. All in 2015. And what it shows, it shows that this world that we live in, that we call home, is a broken home. It is a broken world. A place really that we can't really call home anymore. But yet, God sent us a gift. It was Emmanuel, God with us. So this Christmas 2015, some of you, you may think it's all about the gifts. It's all about the presents. It's all about the food. It's all about the fun. For some of you, 2015, Christmas 2015, you'll remember because the Star Wars movie came out. But the reality is Christmas isn't about all that. Christmas is about one thing. You know what that one thing is? That's you. Christmas is about you. See, it is about a creator God who decided to send the greatest gift this world has ever seen. That was Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us to save you from this broken world. It's not just about a baby that we sing what nice songs for. It's about a savior who has come to rescue you because you were lost. You are on this death trap. But now he has come so that you can come home. Look what Paul says about Christmas. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, as the scriptures say, the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam the first made from the dust of the earth, while Christ the second man came from heaven. It's when God was reaching down in Michelangelo's painting. Came down from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man. And heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. 
What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters? Is it that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God? These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. But we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And those who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our bodies, dying bodies, have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. This death trap of a home that Adam created will be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the Lord gives sin its the Lord gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That right there is the Christmas story. There's no stable, there's no inn, there's no wise men, no shepherds. But that is the Christmas story. God doing everything that he could to save us from this death trap that we call home. He came so that we can go home. Today I bring you good news. Good news to all people that today in the city of David... A Savior has been born. Christ the Lord. We call him Jesus. It is God who came in flesh to rescue us from this place that we once called home. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.